We'd like to thank Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for helping to underwrite the Building Through Him podcast. In the last year alone, Notre Dame SCU served more than 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com. Hello, welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, and this episode is a recording from our Kingdom Builders Conference featuring Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Meg became a hobo for Christ in 2012, and after two degrees in theology and five years of teaching religion, Meg was feeling like God was calling her to follow Him in a more literal way. She quit her job, packed up her car, and hit the road, becoming known as the hobo for the kingdom. Now Meg travels around the country speaking about the goodness of God to anyone who will listen. She has found friendships with the saints and shares stories about the saints who attained holiness in spite of great obstacles. She is the author of two books, Saints Around the World and Pray For Us. We welcome Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Thank you. Friends, thanks so much for being here to chat with me. I got to warn you, I am like super fragile today and may cry like a lot of times. Um, So you can just pray with me and pray for me um, as my family is grieving a loss right now. So let's go ahead and pray together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we know that you are good. And we trust that you are holding us in your pierced hands. Lord, right now we come before you broken and suffering and confused and excited and alone and overwhelmed. And we ask you, Lord, just to take us into your pierced heart. Surround us, Lord, by your love. Teach us what it is that we are yours, that we are good, that we are beautiful. Jesus, I pray for the heart of every person in this room. Lord God, I pray that these women would come to see that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that by the intercession of your holy saints, they would know that they are not alone in their suffering and their addiction, and their frustration, and their confusion. Mother Mary, we ask you to pray for us, and that like you, we would run to the Father, that we would live our lives in service to the Son, that we would move always and only at the prompting of the Spirit. We ask this through your intercession. As we pray, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided, inspired by this confidence. We fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer us. Amen. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Blessed Catherine Jurij, pray for us. Servant of God, Daphros Rugamba, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, friends, I am a lot. I don't know if anybody else in here is a lot, but I am a lot. I am loud, and I am intense, and I am emotional, even when there's no particular reason to be emotional, right? And I, I mean, I was born yelling. And when I fell in love with Jesus, I got to know some of the saints, and I discovered that all of the saints are like this. Ah. And I was like, okay, I can do it. I, I can be holy like that. I'm, I'm going to do it. Oh! And I just wanted to murder everybody. Okay, because God didn't make me sweet. And he didn't make me pleasant. And he didn't make me cheerful and, and meek. He made me a lot. And he made me that way on purpose. But every image that I had ever seen of every saint 
They all looked identical, right? They were all placid, and they were all meek, and they were all a size two, and they were all white, right? Like they all looked exactly the same. And I tried to be that girl. I really did. And I was like, well, you know what? I guess God just didn't make me to be holy because I can't be this plaster image that's been set before me. And Teresa of Avila was like, girl, please. Y'all know Teresa of Avila? Her feast day was yesterday. Teresa of Avila has no patience for plaster saints. Look, if you are meek and sweet and pleasant and white and a size two, get it. Like, be you for Jesus. But many of us aren't. And when I got to know Teresa of Avila and the, the little bit of sass in her and the saltiness in her and the brilliance in her and the fight in her, I thought, oh, Maybe there's space for me. Maybe God didn't screw up when he made me. Maybe I can be holy as I am. And the more I began to lean in to this call to holiness as I am, the more I realized that we all have that idea. That holiness is the opposite of whatever we are. See, I would talk to people and I would be like, saints are loud and wild and exuberant. And they would be like, yeah. And I'm not, I'm just, ah, I'm just sweet and meek and placid. And I was like, hang on. So you're convinced that holiness is the opposite of you. Just like I'm convinced that holiness is the opposite of me. And I was like, hang on now. That's the devil right there. That's the devil coming at you and saying, whatever is at the core of who you are, God doesn't like that. Whatever is your defining Feature, God sneers at that. Whatever is the struggle that you feel like you can't surpass, God rolls his eyes at that. You are not enough. You aren't who you should be. And if you can just be a little bit less you and a little bit more that image that you have of holiness— then maybe you'll be okay. Growing up a Christian in the 90s, it involved like ankle-length jumpers and puff sleeves and casseroles, right? There was this like evangelical fundamentalism that had sort of crept into the Catholic image of holiness. And I was like, I don't even have any jumpers. How am I supposed to be holy, right? And I realized that God was telling me, look, holiness is work, but it's not toil, Right on our name tags today, we've got a verse from Luke 12. Consider the wildflowers and how they grow. Luke says they neither spin nor toil, but not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. And I was praying today about the difference between work and toil. See, toil, that's a curse that comes in the fall, right? In Genesis 3, verse 17, God says to Adam, cursed be the ground because of you. In toil shall you eat its yield all the days of your life. Now, I don't think the Lord is saying, well, it used to be that the oranges would have plucked themselves and peeled themselves and stuck themselves in your mouth, right? The work was going to be there, but the toil is when you're fighting right? It's not just labor. It's fighting against a nature that's wrong for you, right? And nature became at war with humanity when we fell. And I think many of us in pursuing holiness, we're not working, we're toiling. We're fighting against our nature. We're fighting to cut off elements of ourselves that are really at the center of who we are, we're fighting to ignore the brokenness that God is trying to speak to us through. We're fighting to run from God, to run from reality. And the church looks at us knowing the way that we are going to toil, women especially, are going to toil to try to reject who God made us to be and the reality of our lives so that we can fit into this mold because we're comparing ourselves all the time. And the church looks at that and says, okay, let me do you a solid. And I'm gonna give you a saint or two. I'm gonna give you some friends to let you know that your life, 
that you are currently living in, God is at work in that. With your personality, with your family struggles, with your addiction, with your mental illness, with your disability, with your passions, with your joys, with your talents, with your failures, you are seen and you are known and you are loved. See, I wasn't always into the saints. Because every story I heard was, she was very holy and became a nun the end. And I was like, well, good for you. That's not my story. Every once in a while you got, she was really, really, really bad. And then she became holy and became a nun the end. You know? And you're like, okay, well, but where's the struggle? Right? Where's, where's the fight? Where's the getting up every day and saying, Jesus, I love you in this too. Jesus, I will follow you in this too. And then I began to get to know the real lives of the saints. These men and women who dealt with the same things that you and I are dealing with, who suffered the same way that you and I are suffering, but who kept their eyes fixed on Jesus. So today, I just kind of want to spam you with some saints And I want you to listen to whoever is tugging at your heart. And it might be somebody who you're like, oh my gosh, she's just like me. And it might be someone where you're like, I have no idea why I'm supposed to be friends with her. Sometimes the saints don't make a lot of sense, but they're always working to draw us deeper into the heart of Jesus. And today I want to talk about the way God made us as wildflowers. Some of us wild and bright and showy and some of us small and meek. My mother loves Queen Anne's lace, which the world considers a weed but there are no weeds in God's garden. There are no invasive species in God's garden. There are no accidents in God's garden. You were made on purpose exactly the way that he wants you. And I want us today just to sit in the glory of the diversity of Catholic femininity. Look at blessed Catherine Gerige, y'all, I love her. Catherine Gerige was a lot, okay? She was a loud, wild, prank-playing little girl. She loved to dance, but she loved Jesus more. And she decided that she was gonna become a third-order Dominican like Catherine of Siena. And she thought, well, if I'm gonna be a third-order Dominican, then I have to shrink. I can't dance, and I can't laugh, and I can't yell. And then the French Revolution broke out. And during the French Revolution, the church needed pious church ladies, but the church also needed loud, wild, mischievous women. And Catherine Gerige, she had a penchant for making good trouble. So she began sort of an underground railroad for priests at a time when it was illegal to be a priest. And she would smuggle priests from one place to another so that they could bring the sacraments. And she would use her powers of improv, right? So she'd be out walking with this priest and they'd see a soldier. They saw a soldier one time, it was her and a friend and two other priests. And they see this soldier coming up and she just turns to him and she's like, you're always like this. Your children never see you. You're out all day. Starts just shouting at this priest like he was her drunken husband she was dragging home from a bar. And, and the soldier just looks at her as like, Okay, he looks at the priest, he goes, man, if that was my wife, I'd throw myself in a river. And the priest was like, dude, me too. What? (laughs) So she's doing all of this work and she makes a decision. At first she was telling these little white lies. She makes a decision. She's like, I don't want to lie anymore. Even to save lives, I don't want to lie. And I'm going to trust that God is going to bless me in that. And so she'd be coming back from hiding a priest somewhere and she'd see a soldier. And they'd be like, where are you coming from? And she'd go, over there. Where over there? Over there. Where were you over there? Oh, I was over there. Just back there. I was over there. And they would be like, where over there? I was just, I was just over there. And finally be like, oh my gosh, just leave. What is wrong with you? One time she's carrying a chalice in her apron and she's got straw on top of it. And this soldier comes up to her and he's like, what do you got in your apron? And she goes, I got a chalice. You want to see it? And he was like, oh my gosh, like, you don't have to be mean, fine, just keep going, right? Like, God was blessing her in her desire to belong completely to him, in her desire to tell the truth, in her desire to be herself. She's also fantastic, because you know, back in the day, you had like pockets that you would tie on, and then you put a skirt over top that just had holes, like back in the day, in the day, right? Well, she was smuggling like chalices and sometimes babies to be baptized. Like it was a lot, right? And so her pockets wore out. So she replaced them with leather pockets, but she was doing too much work. Leather pockets wore out. So she replaced them with hermetically sealed copper pockets. So she is my patron saint of dresses with pockets. 
If you're, if you're ever shopping, you need a little friend there. Blessed Catherine Jerez, she's your girl. So she spends the Reformation doing this work. In the time that she's doing it, only one priest was arrested. She went with him to his death. Not a single person died without baptism. And then the revolution was over and Catherine had to go back to her regular life. But she had realized that she didn't have to shrink to be who God was calling her to be. And so she began to do the work she'd been doing before, begging for the poor, but just with a little bit extra, right? So when somebody was like, ah, not, I got nothing for your poor, she'd be like, I'm sorry, you're going to go tell Jesus that at your judgment? They'd be like, okay, all right, it's fine, right? But she could discern when that's what God was calling her to do and when she needed to be a little bit more sweet and meek and mild. Columba Kang Wansuk, she's another firebrand of a woman, right? Columba Kang Wansuk is the heart of the Catholic Church in Korea at its very beginning. Catholic Church in Korea, coolest church of all the churches, sorry, everybody else, it's the only church to have evangelized itself. Everybody else got missionaries. Korea had some teenage boys who found a book on Catholicism, read it, were like, yeah, this is true. Smuggled one of their members out. He got smuggled back in, baptized them. They went out, baptized everybody else. Columba was one of the early ones who was baptized. And she loved the Lord. And she was an evangelist. And she converted her parents. And she converted her mother-in-law. And she converted her stepson. She did not convert her husband. And he was not interested in all of this Jesus nonsense. He was not particularly interested in her. So he left her for a concubine. Columba hadn't had the most lovely of marriages, right? But this is a difficult situation regardless of how you felt about your ex-husband. And she's looking at this divorce. She's looking at a culture that doesn't accept this. And she's like, Lord, where are you? But she says, you know what, God, I'm going to trust that you are at work. Even when I can't see what you're doing, I'm going to trust that you are at work. And pretty soon she realized in Korea at the time, it was illegal for the police to search a noblewoman's home if her husband didn't live with her. One of those funny little quirks of the law. And Columbo was like, Catholic party at my house. And everybody moved in. Like all of the women who wanted to be consecrated women in the kingdom of Korea, they all moved into her house. She starts bringing people in. She's converting people. The priest comes in. She's smuggling the priest throughout Korea. She is the heart of everything because in the moment of her great anguish, she trusted that God was working. Her mother-in-law whose son had left Columba, loved Columba so much, she went with Columba, not with her son. So if you got mother-in-law issues, Columba's your girl, right? She can pray for you. She ended up being killed along with her son and the priest, blessed James Uwenmo, who she had been protecting. St. Hyacintha Mariscotti, she's another one of these big, loud, wild kind of women, right? When she was growing up, she wanted to be a nun, and then she decided she was going to get married, and she met this boy, and she really loved him, and then instead of marrying her, he got married to her little sister, and she pitched a fit. So bad, her family tied her up and dragged her to a convent. Heads up, that's not how we discern a vocation, right? So Hyacintha, she's like forced into this convent. She escapes, right? Like over the wall, middle of the night style. They find her, they drag her back, stick her back in the convent. And she's like, fine, I will be a nun, but I will not be a good one. I am a noble woman, and I will live as a noble woman. I'll do chastity, but I'm not doing poverty, and I am not doing obedience. So she's got these, like, fancy rooms, and she's, you know, she's wearing, like, a silk habit, right? Just ridiculous. She receives visitors all day long, and a priest comes to visit her when she's sick. And he said to her, oh, I can see why you're in the convent. And she said, why is that? And he said, so the devil would have a foothold here? And she's floored by this realization, that she's living her life as a nun, but running merrily to hell because she loves her will more than she loves God's. She has this huge conversion for six months, and then she backslides. That's my favorite part. Because so often the stories that we hear, it's just this lovely linear, she was bad, had a conversion, and then she was good. And you're like, well, that's not, that's not how it went for me. It's not how it went for Hyacintha. She backslides, falls back into that same sin, has another death scare. And this time she's converted so thoroughly 
that at her funeral, they had to change her habit three times because people kept cutting off pieces of it to use for relics. She had become so completely transformed by God. Now, she hadn't become this meek and retiring woman. I mean, meek in the sense of power under control, meek in the sense that Jesus was meek on the cross, that Jesus was meek when flipping over tables, right? But she's not a woman who's like, oh, I shouldn't say anything. She was a woman who lived in the fullness of her strength. But that strength was handed over to Jesus. But you don't have to be loud and wild like Hyacintha or Columba or Catherine. Venerable Satoko Kitahara, she became a saint through a smile. She was a Japanese woman living during World War II in the wake of World War II. She was devastated by the Japanese loss in World War II, as was the rest of Japan. And she was so confused, so unsure as to the meaning of life, so despairing that she would go every day to the movies. She would just sit and watch movie after movie after movie. So I consider her the patron saint of drowning your sorrows in Netflix, if that's, if that's something that anybody has a tendency to. But she met a buddy of Maximilian Kolbe's, and she ended up becoming Catholic. On the day of her baptism, one of the nuns there said, you have such a beautiful smile. Will you always try to smile for Jesus? Satoka said, well, I'll do my best. She wanted to become a nun, but her health was too bad. And then this friend of Maximilian Kolbe's was like, hey, there are these children. They live in a slum. They pick through garbage every day. And Satoko said, they can come to my house for piano lessons, which is a start. It's a start. But she's teaching them an hour a week. And after a while, she's like, Jesus didn't become man an hour a week. Jesus came into our mess and lived the life that we live. So she went out with them. This is a woman, her father's a professor, right? She's like living on the Upper East Side of Manhattan functionally. Like she's got things together. She's going out picking through the garbage with slum children. And she did that for a while. And then eventually she was like, you know what? Jesus didn't just come to do what we did. He came to be who we are. And she moved into the slum. God love her parents. She moved into the slum. And she didn't preach amazing sermons. She didn't write beautiful books. She looked at people like that. And hundreds of people came to know Jesus. She didn't have the words. She didn't have the theology. She had the heart of Jesus. And she loved well. Towards the end of her life, the government was going to kick these people out of the land where they were squatting, in fairness. They really had no right to be there. And the leader of the group wrote this very angry and impassioned letter saying all of the reasons why they should let them stay. And sweet Satoko, who never raised her voice, never fought anybody, she copied over the letter in her beautiful script. And at the bottom, she said, if you make us leave, I will fast on the steps of the government building until you find us a new home or I starve to death. Thank you for your consideration. They did not move them because Satoko had handed her life over so completely to Jesus as the woman that she was, that she radiated him. She ended up dying at 28 of tuberculosis like many of the good ones. St. Marguerite Bailly, She's great. This isn't a woman who did like wild and remarkable things. I mean, she did some wild and remarkable things. She like lived on just the Eucharist for a while and I don't know, probably levitated. Everybody seems to. Marguerite Bailly didn't become a saint because of her extreme walking pilgrimages or because of her mysticism. She became a saint because of her dysfunctional family. She had a brother who was in and out of jail and another brother who was mayor, so that probably made Thanksgiving uncomfortable. She had a sister who had been divorced, which in 19th century France is a big thing. She had a sister-in-law who could not stand her. She had a nephew who was born out of wedlock who she was raising, and she's living in the home of her brother, his illegitimate child, and his wife who hates Marguerite. Anybody feel a little bit of sympathy? For Marguerite, anybody feel a little bit of solidarity with Marguerite? That's what made her a saint. Her family was not an obstacle to her holiness. Her family was an avenue to holiness. And Marguerite, in loving those people, in loving her sister-in-law who couldn't stand her, in loving her brother who was violent, 
in loving her sister who was weeping all of the time and loving the children of the neighborhood. That's what made her a saint. And she, she was a catechist and she was a godmother. She was an aunt and she was a sister. And it was loving broken people that brought her to canonization. Blessed Maria Troncati, on the other hand, is a war nurse, jungle surgeon, evangelist nun. So when people tell you the Catholic Church is trying to hold women back, you can just pull out this holy card, right? There she is on her way into the jungle. Italian woman, becomes a Salesian. She works in hospitals during World War I, eventually makes her way to Ecuador. She goes out to the Shuar people who are famous for literally chopping off heads and shrinking them. That's not a stereotype. That was actually part of their practice, right? And she goes out into the jungle. She gets to the first village and they're met at the entrance to the village by warriors with spears held to their throats. And she said, I'm here to tell you about Jesus who died to save you. And the chief says, save us. My daughter's been shot. You save her, you live. So she says a prayer and she takes out her pocket knife, sticks it in boiling water to sterilize it and performs jungle surgery. The woman lives. The chief says, all right, tell me about Jesus. And she began to preach a gospel, not the gospel that they'd been hearing from these colonizers, but a gospel saying Jesus made you the way that he wants you. He loves you as you are, and he wants you to come alive in your culture, in your reality. And the people were like, that's actually really good news. She said, yeah. She spent 40 plus years evangelizing these people and she built nursing schools. She taught them medicine. She empowered these people in their culture, in their way of life. And they loved her so much that one time they're marching out to war and she walks up to them, fully geared up. And she says, if you love me, lay down your weapons. Hundreds of warriors up against a 70-year-old nun. And they did. They canceled the war because they knew that she loved them. Because she was herself fully alive for Jesus. Blessed Maria Quatrochi, on the other hand, no particular story. Her husband, Blessed Luigi, Married couple, Italy, 20th century, four kids. That's it. That's the story. They did nothing remarkable. They prayed as a family. She worked in Ethiopia with the Red Cross for a little while. They sheltered some Jews in their home during World War II. Like, cool stuff, right? Cool stuff. But what made them saints was ordinary family life. That's what made their daughter a saint as well. Venerable Enriqueta Beltrame Quatrochi. Again, Ordinary woman, ordinary life, ordinary death. You don't have to venture into the wild to be a saint. You just have to let God transform your ordinary life with glory. One of the things I love most about Maria Quatrochi is she had really difficult pregnancies. And she was not thrilled when she discovered that she was pregnant. We have some of her letters to Luigi. In one, she says, Who will give me the strength to think of two children, to endure the physical and physiological exhaustion of pregnancy and the rest? Another time, having discovered that she was pregnant, she says, I'd prefer anything to another pregnancy. How can I take care of both children in the state I'm in? And then she continues, I am near to despair. This is not before she was a saint. This is what holiness looked like for her because feelings are not sins. You are not a bad Christian because you have hard feelings. You are not a bad mother because you are devastated by a positive pregnancy test. You might be just a Catholic using NFP, right? You don't have to delight in every circumstance of your life. In order to be a Christian running after Jesus, you just have to hand that over to him. And I love Maria Quatrochi because I know a lot of people in this room have had positive pregnancy tests that they are not thrilled about. And the devil wants to get in there and he wants to tell you, you are a bad mother. You are a bad Christian, especially, God forbid, you lose that baby. And the devil wants to tell you this is your fault and you don't love enough. And Maria Quatrochi is sitting up there next to the throne of Jesus like, girl, I get it. Right? You want to read my letters when I found out I was pregnant? I was like, Luigi, I'm going to die. I'm going to literally just die right now. That's what holiness looked like for her. 
Holiness isn't running from our feelings. Holiness is bringing them to the Lord. I loved what we were hearing earlier, bringing them to the Lord in prayer, in confession, in therapy, right? Letting God work in your heart there. Blessed Concepcion Cabrera de Armida, also called Conchita, had nine children. She was a Mexican wife and mother. She's great. She met her husband at a dance when she was 13. And so like she can, she can intercede for your middle schoolers right, who are feeling all those feelings at the dances, right? She met Pancho when she was 13. They dated for nine years. And on her wedding day, she asked him one favor. She said, will you help me go to mass every day? And he did. Through all nine children, he would shoo her out the door in the morning. He would take care of the children in Mexico in the 19th century, right? Like this is authentic masculinity there, right? Knowing that he was a father, that that was his identity. It wasn't just like something for his wife to take care of. Well, Pancho died when Conchita was only 39. Her oldest child was 16. She had a baby. She had these nine children and she's trying to raise these children. And she loses her youngest to a drowning accident in a fountain at their home while she was at home. So then she has to deal not just with the grief, but also with the guilt and the shame. She loses two other children, one at six and one at 18. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of losing her husband and her children, when she could so easily have said, God, where are you? Conchita kept running to him. See, Conchita wasn't just a wife and a mother of nine. She was also a mystic. And she wrote 60,000 pages, 60,000 pages just of her spiritual diary let alone the other 40 books that she wrote in the midst of all of this. She founded a religious order for women. She also founded an order of priests. So she's a great one for spiritual motherhood for priests, if that's something you feel called to, if you have some priests who maybe need to receive some spiritual motherhood in their priesthood. Conchita lives what looks to be an ordinary life. Her kids are like, yeah, she wrote a lot. Like she prayed and stuff. They open her cause for canonization. Her kids are like, wait, our mom though? Like, I mean, she was like really nice, but seriously. And they're like, maybe just read this. And it's like Jesus appearing to her every day. But what made her a saint wasn't the mysticism, right? What made her a saint was the ordinary every day, the suffering and the running after Jesus all the same. I've been really hanging on to this family recently. St. Magdalena Sun Sobiak and St. Peter Cho Chung Hub were a married couple in Korea in most of the 19th century. Their oldest daughter was St. Barbara Cho Yong-i. Their second child died in infancy. Their third child died in infancy. Their fourth child died in infancy. Their fifth child died in infancy. They lost nine babies in a row. The idea of being open to life in those circumstances. And then they had their 11th child and she lived. And Magdalena and Barbara, both with babes in their arms, you can see in that picture, were arrested for being Catholic. And I don't know, man, if I was Magdalena, I think I might be like, I've done my time. I have done my suffering. Jesus is going to have to let me off the hook on this one because I've got a baby in my arms and she's going to make it. But Magdalena and Barbara had learned how to suffer in a way that drew them closer to Jesus. And they said yes. And they and their husbands were all martyred. The babies were given to, to family to raise. And these women who had suffered so deeply, Magdalena and Peter in losing their children, but Barbara lost a little sibling when she was two and four and six and eight and 10 and 12, watched her parents suffer and still was able to believe that God was good because God's goodness is not dependent on our circumstances. And that is a hard, hard thing to believe. But God is good even when we can't see what he's doing. And he loves us even when we don't see evidence. Cornelia Connolly knew this. Cornelia Connolly suffered. She's an American woman, born in the Northeast. She was Episcopalian. She married an Episcopalian priest. They had a bunch of kids, moved out West. Her baby died. 
Her toddler fell into a vat of boiling maple syrup. Took 43 hours to die in her arms. Then Peter decided to become Catholic, and Cornelia was like, all right, I'm game. Discovers the Catholic Church, loves the Catholic Church. Peter says, I'm going to become a priest. And at the time, for him to become a priest, many had to leave her. And she was like, please don't do this. We have three small children. I am grieving our two lost babies. Please don't leave me. And he was like, no, no, I'm very holy. He was an absolute narcissist, and I need to pray for him more than I rage about him. So God rest his soul. Pierce looked at her and was like, no, no, I'm going to be a huge deal. I'm going to be one of those convert priests. Everybody's going to love me. I'm going to sell a million books. I'm going to have a huge blog, right? All of this. And Cornelia, thinking at the time that submission to your husband meant you just said yes, said yes. And she goes and they separate and she founds this religious community. And then Pierce comes knocking on her door and he's like, actually, nah, I miss you. And she's like, so, but we made vows. And he was like, yeah, no, I miss you. And she's like, I, I, this is too much. Like, you can't be pulling me back from this. Pierce starts wailing outside the convent, sues her for conjugal rights in England in the 19th century. You can imagine the field day the press had with that, with a Catholic priest trying to sue his wife. He accuses her of having liaisons with this cardinal, kidnaps her three children, takes them away to Italy. And Cornelia, she kept smiling which makes me a little bit nervous because I don't love the idea of just grinning through the pain. But one of the novices in her community asked her one time, she said, Mother Cornelia, you've suffered so much. Why are you always smiling? And she said, my child, the tears are always running down the back of my throat. She didn't say, oh, I'm good. It's okay. Jesus makes everything better. She said, oh, no, this is awful. But right now I have a job. And my job is to be mother to these novices, to be mother to this community. But I promise you, I promise you I am crying. And I love that balance that she was able to say, right now is not the moment for me to weep. That's what holy hour is for, right? I'll be crying in the back of the chapel. Servants of God, Cyprian and Daphros Rugamba, I love these two. They're a Rwandan couple, lived in the 20th century. Cyprian was a former seminarian. He had been in seminary, lost his faith, left seminary, and was engaged to Daphros' cousin when she was killed. And it was really the end of everything for Cyprian. He becomes a very angry atheist. He's involved in some pagan practices, but he has sort of a family obligation now to marry somebody in his fiance's family. So he marries Daphros, who's a very faithful Catholic, and they just have this awful, miserable marriage. They lose their first child to miscarriage. She's devastated by this, but they have their second baby is born healthy. And when the baby's a few months old, Cyprian accuses Daphros of witchcraft, kicks her out of the house without her baby while she's still grieving her first baby. Eventually he gets over it, lets her come back. They have 10 children together. He has 11 children. They have 10. Not a great man. Brilliant man. He's a choreographer and a composer. He's working on this renaissance of Rwandan culture in the wake of colonialism, but he's awful to Daphros. One time she just had a baby and he walks into the room where she had delivered and he takes the crucifix off the wall and smashes it on the ground. Awful. And here's the thing, friends. In an abusive marriage, you can leave, right? If you are being treated horribly, you can leave. The church teaches that in cases of abuse, addiction, and adultery, it is okay for you to leave to get that separation of spouses. Daphros felt called to stay. I don't think that he was hurting her physically. He was just a jerk. But she stayed and she prayed 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 and she prayed. And finally, Cyprian gets horribly ill and then has a miraculous healing and a miraculous conversion. And he begs Daphros' forgiveness. And they begin this beautiful marriage. And I love his conversion. I think that's great. But what I love the most about their story, look at how she's looking at him. Like the sun rises and sets on him. Can you imagine forgiveness like that? For a man who made your life hell for 20 years. But God healed her too. 
And they became really the heart of this religious renewal in Rwanda. But Cyprian was very vocal about the ethnic tensions in Rwanda at the time. And he was advocating for the ethnic identities to be removed from identity cards. And so he he sort of put a target on his back. Uh, The day before they died, he was leading a choir rehearsal. And the song was one he had written. The lyrics were, I will enter heaven dancing. And people were singing it and they weren't being particularly joyful. And he led them in this joyful rendition, dancing and singing. And the next night, the president of Rwanda was shot down and the genocide began. And they were at the top of the list. And people broke into their home where they were praying with seven of their children in front of the Blessed Sacrament and killed Cyprian, Defros, and six of the seven children who were there, which is horrific for them and horrific for their family. But what a gift to the nation of Rwanda that in the wake of the genocide, as they seek healing, as they seek mercy, the image they have of Rwandan holiness is this woman who looked at her husband like that. This image of real mercy. St. Pulcheria was a, a genius. She was the empress of Byzantium in her own right. At first, she ruled on behalf of her brother as his regent, and then she ruled alongside her brother, and then her brother died, and they were like, can you still be in charge? And she was like, uh, yeah. And so she ruled on her own, and then eventually they were like, Attila the Hun is at the gate. Can we like maybe get a general involved? And she was like, fine, he can be emperor too. Uh, but she was so brilliant that when the church was having a difficult time figuring out the natures of Jesus, Pope St. Leo the Great asked her to address the council of Chalcedon. I love these images of genius in the lives of the saints. I also love St. Agatha Kim Agi. You guys, I want to tell you like a hundred more, but I'm not going to. Agatha Kim Agi couldn't learn anything. She couldn't learn the Our Father. And she heard about Jesus and she loved Jesus. And she went to the Catholic community in Korea and she said, I want to be a Christian. And they said, great, can you recite the creed? And she said, I only know Jesus and Mary. And they said, well, how about the Our Father? And she said, I only know Jesus and Mary. And they said, okay, repeat after me, hail Mary. And she said, I only know Jesus and Mary. And they said, you are too dumb to baptize, which is not a thing, right? (laughs) We all are aware of that. We're going to cut the church in Korea some slack. In the first 50 years that there were Catholics in Korea, there was one priest for six years total, and he had died like 35 years earlier. Okay, so they're a little off on their baptismal theology. That's probably fair. But the government didn't care that she wasn't baptized, and they arrested her. And they began to torture her. And they said, tell us where the other Christians are. And she said, I only know Jesus and Mary. And they said, deny your faith. And she said, I only know Jesus and Mary. And her great shame became her crowning glory. And when she was thrown back into prison, the Christians there bowed before her and said, here is Agatha who only knows Jesus and Mary. They baptized her and she died a martyr. Because your intellectual disability does not bar God's grace from working in you. I'm going to go super fast through a few of these others. Um, Nenolina died when she was six and a half years old. She used to write letters to Jesus thanking him for the opportunity to suffer for him, including when she had her leg amputated. On the first anniversary, she threw a party to celebrate being able to give that gift to Jesus. St. Mary of Egypt is often called a prostitute. She was not a prostitute. She didn't accept money. She spent 17 years indulging, we're going to use careful language, I see some children here, indulging her sensual desires and even compelling other people against their will. Until she had this radical conversion, she fled out into the desert, but she had spent 17 years in her sin. She spent 17 years struggling with shame and with temptation. This is not snap your fingers and now you're a saint. This is struggle. This is fight right? She had been living in addiction and it took 17 years for her to be set free from that addiction. But she became so holy in the Eastern church. She gets a Sunday for her feast day. There's four of those. That's how holy Mary of Egypt is. And nobody's like Mary of Egypt who used to be the worst. They're like Mary of Egypt who is just incredible. Oh, their picture didn't show up. St. Mary of Edessa was a victim of clerical abuse. And in the wake of her assault, blamed herself and thought, God couldn't possibly love me. So she became a prostitute. And her adoptive father, St. Abraham Kidunaya, discovered where she was and went after her, though he was a hermit. 
fell on his knees before her in the brothel and begged her to come home because he was a real father. If you have been abused, I am so sorry. Mary of Edessa is praying for you. If you need a real father to look at you and say, it was not your fault, you did not deserve that, this is not who you are, come home. St. Abraham Kedoniah is echoing the words of the father. It is not your fault. You don't have to live in shame. Even with choices that you've made in the wake of that, you don't have to live in shame. That is not who you are. Saints Columba and Agnes Kim were also survivors of sexual assault. They were assaulted in prison. When they were imprisoned for being Christians, they were stripped naked and thrown into the cell. And when they came out the next day and were dressed and were before the judge, Columba let him have it. She said, look, I have broken the laws of my country and I am prepared to die, but nobody has the right to touch me in a way that I don't deserve. This is not the law of our country. The virginity of a woman has a right to be respected. She fought for herself. Agnes didn't. And I love that they are saints together. I love that we have a saint to give you strength if you need to report assault or abuse. And I love that we have a saint to say, it's okay if you can't. That doesn't make you less strong. It doesn't make you less brave. It doesn't make you less seen and loved by God. Catalina de Maria Rodriguez was forced into a marriage by a priest who told her that the man would kill himself if she didn't marry him. That's not a good reason to enter into a marriage. She experienced infertility. Her only child was stillborn. She experienced motherhood through being a stepmother. But this was a woman who really suffered, really, really suffered, had felt called to religious life, and eventually her husband died. And she was able to enter religious life and found a new religious order. But God wasn't wasting all of that time that she felt like she was in the wrong spot. God was working. He was making her a saint and he was making her the woman that her religious community needed her to be through that experience of motherhood, through that experience of suffering. Catalina was her name in religion, was the name of her stillborn baby. She named herself after that baby because that baby was such a gift, even though she didn't get to hold her living in her arms. Teresita Quevedo is gorgeous, captain the basketball team, Tennis star, loved bullfights, pierced her friend's ears with a safety pin. I always tell teenagers, don't imitate that. Because you can be fun and pretty and popular and be a saint. You can also be four feet tall and have a hunchback and be blind and be a saint. God is working in your disability. Dorothy Day, we know, just look at that face. Dorothy Day experienced suicidal ideations, had two suicide attempts, Because mental illness doesn't make you less holy. Mental illness doesn't bar God's grace from you. Mental illness doesn't mean that you're not praying hard enough. She also had an abortion and was a single mother. This is a woman who looks at you and says, whatever you are going through, God can transform and God can make you a saint. Rose Hawthorne Lather of dealt with postpartum depression to the point that she was institutionalized. She's also the daughter of Nathaniel Hawthorne of Scarlet Letter fame. Servant of God, Lanny Martin may have had autism. We're not exactly sure. She had extreme struggles when she was a child. And even throughout her life, she entered religious life multiple times. This is St. Therese's big sister. She was just difficult. She was a problem child. She didn't really have a lot of friends. God adored that about her. He adored her struggles. He adored her in her tantrums. He adored her in all of her misery. God was there and he was working. She was not a mistake and she was not an accident. I want to finish with this quote from St. Edith Stein. I've gone a little bit over into your lunchtime, but I could have gone for like five hours. So you're welcome. St. Edith Stein says, and when night comes and you look back over the day and see how fragmentary everything has been, and how much you planned that has gone undone, and all the reasons you have to be embarrassed and ashamed, just take everything exactly as it is. Put it in God's hands and leave it with Him. Take your body image issues, put them in God's hands, leave them with Him. Take your broken marriage, take your childhood abuse, take your assault, put them in God's hands and leave them with him. Take your awkwardly loud laugh. Take your paralyzing shyness. Put them in God's hands. Leave them with him. Take your mental illness. 
Take your huge personality, take your timidity, take your children who you just can't get to go to church no matter how hard you try. Take your experiences of abuse in the church, take your experiences of racism in the church, put them in God's hands, leave them with him. Our personalities are not an accident. And while there are circumstances in your life that God did not desire for you, he doesn't give up on you when something horrific happens to you or when you do something horrific. He doesn't give up on you when you pick the wrong vocation. He doesn't give up on you when you make the wrong career choice. God isn't sitting there like, well, there goes that. God looks at you and says, oh, that's going to make it harder on you. Watch what my grace can do. Watch what my grace can do. Let me show you what it is to be held and loved and cherished in this suffering, in this uncertainty, in this confusion. There is nothing in your life that makes you ineligible for sainthood. There is nothing in your life that makes you ineligible for God's love. You, exactly as you are, are so loved. And you don't have to toil to fit into some arbitrary box. You just need to bloom exactly as you are. If you want to get to know any more of these saint friends, I've got the children's book with Lindsay, but also we're launching my new book today. Today is the release. Yay! It's available. Thank you. It's available at the Ave Maria press table. And I will be signing during lunch. And I would be so excited to chat with y'all about some of those saint friends so that you can get to know a little bit more the incredible diversity of the wildflowers that God made so that you can step into the reality that God made you the way that he wants you and he loves you like crazy. Thanks, friends. If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.